This is our Masters in Divinities, The Life of Mohammed, the Sira, with Dr. Bill Warner from PoliticalIslam.com, author of the book, Sharia Law for Non-Muslims, and of course the entire Taste of Islam series. Why, six years ago we began the Taste of Islam series on slavery. People don't realize this, but Islam played the most prominent role in slavery in world history, uh, as well as the only religion that still believes in slavery. Uh, We never did quite finish that, but we have been plowing through the life of Muhammad, the Sirah, and we welcome Dr. Warner back to the classroom. Good morning. Good to be here. You know, we wanted to start before we get to class, and today we've kind of Probably should do an extended review for people, but we're about to get into Mohammed the Man as class continues. But before we do, we want to play a clip. Tommy, do you have the clip ready from last night? Um, you know, I, I think it's important as, you know, from time to time, we just kind of rephrase, take a deep breath and restage things for people. Uh, we're in an interview process, and the American people are interviewing candidates to be commander in chief and president of the United States at a time where the world is very dangerous. Uh, our national security should be a very, very high priority. It's the number one reason we have a federal government. Other than that, we're a government of, for, and by the people, and we're the United States of America. Uh, so, you know, it, it was no small issue that I played earlier, which had to do with Palestine and Israel, where clearly Donald Trump thinks it's just a negotiation and being neutral is acceptable. Uh, Marco Rubio took him to task. The Palestinians, whether it's the PLO or Hamas in control of their parliament, they don't see Israel's right to exist. So you can't have a negotiation. You can't be neutral in that. Um, they want to do- kill all the Jews and take control of all of Israel and then get on to America. So that lack of understanding has certain consequence. But I thought this would be an interesting clip for you because this, you know, and I know that political correctness is going to play a role in some of this. Um, but it seems to me that politicians still are having a difficult time understanding the difference between a Muslim and an Islamist. Uh, The first clip is Donald Trump, and here is Tommy to play it. Last night you told CNN, quote, Islam hates us. Did you mean all 1.6 billion Muslims? I mean a lot of them. I mean a lot of them. (laughs) Hit pause for a second. Now, you know, this is typical Donald Trump and things that people love about it, that, you know, he's busting political correctness. And he's right. There's a lot of Muslims that hate us. But what the real the moment I wanted to play this for you was, is I think there was a real opportunity for him to explain that the question was flawed. That not all Muslims are Islamists. Let me play the rest of the quote, and then I want you to respond and teach from it. Do you want to clarify the comment at all? Well, you know, I've been watching the debate today, and they're talking about radical Islamic terrorism or radical Islam. But I will tell you, there's something going on that maybe you don't know about, and maybe a lot of other people don't know about. But there's tremendous hatred, and I will stick with exactly what I said. You can say what you want, and you can be politically correct if you want. I don't want to be so politically correct. I like to solve problems. We have a serious, serious problem of hate. There is tremendous hate. There is tremendous hate. We're large portions of a group of people. Islam, large portions want to 
use very, very harsh means. All right. So, you know, nothing eloquent there and nothing of depth there, truly lacking substance, although the statement itself, there's a lot of Islamists that hate us. First, I'm going to give you Marco Rubio's response, and then I want yours, Dr. Warner. I know that a lot of people find appeal in the things Donald says because he says what people wish they could say. The problem is presidents can't just say anything they want. It has consequences here and around the world. I'm not interested in being politically correct. I'm not interested in being politically correct. I'm interested in being correct. And in in order to be correct on this issue, here's the bottom line. We do work. There is Islam. Islam has a major problem on its hands. It has a significant percentage of its adherents, particularly in the Sunni faith, but also in the Shia, who have been radicalized and are willing to fly planes into a building and kill innocent people. There is no doubt about that. It is also true that if you look around the world at the challenges we face, we are going to have to work together with other with Muslims who do not who are not radicals. Now, to me, I would pose this question to you this way. Uh, One understands it a little bit more substantively than the other, but I think they're both missing the big opportunity here, and that is to explain the difference between a Muslim and an Islamist. I think they're also missing the opportunity to explain the difference difference between Islam and Muslims. Right. Okay? One of the things that I say is I never discuss Muslims except for one Muslim, and who's that? Muhammad. Muhammad. So what we need to do is we need to separate the study of an ideology and a sociological study of people. And neither one of these men show me that they really understand this. People always primary people p- blow past this when we, we discuss this. When it, I mean, I, I will say this differently than you. Oh, I care about Muslims. I care about their eternal fate because I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe he was the only way, the truth, and the life. And because I believe that, I believe they don't have that eternal coverage. They don't have that covering of sin, and they don't have that transformation of eternal life. So I do care about their eternity. But we often say, you know... If you want to be a religious Muslim, by all means, we tolerate you. That doesn't mean we're going to validate you. It doesn't mean we're going to give up Christ or give Muhammad equal footing with Christ. But we're going to be tolerant. We're going to be respectful. You would say it this way. I really don't care if you're a religious Muslim. However, if you're a political Islamist that seeks to overthrow our civilization and change us into an Islamic state, no, we're not interested. And why would we be? They're the exact opposite of what we stand for. People blow over when we say that. They just don't get the difference between jihadist Muslims that want to overthrow and kill us, political Islams that want to overthrow our civilization and our constitution, and religious Muslims that are welcome to wear whatever they want and walk around the mall or go to a mosque. We really don't care about you. But we're not going to tolerate those that want to overthrow our, our civilization or kill our innocent citizens. The problem is is that the when you take Islam in its entirety, you always wind up, for instance, something that was mentioned of hate. Well, the Quran says clearly that Allah hates kafirs, and Muhammad's entire life was spent trying to politically subjugate kafirs. So we need to speak, or at least I speak only of the doctrine. That is, I say what Muhammad said, I say what Allah said, and I leave the interpretation of Islam up to the Muslims. Understanding the difference and understanding as you do, is there such a thing as radical Islam? I say there's only Islam. <laughs> so do I. But I mean, so why is it so hard for sitting presidents and presidential candidates to – I mean, you know, you and I have been doing this for – I don't know what it is now, seven years. It's not – I understand if we want to get into, you know, theological studies of the surah and, and the hadith that can get, you know, very cumbersome and dualistic and a lot of material. But the basic concepts, they're not that hard to get. Well, it appears to be that the obvious is sometimes very difficult to get. And I think that we here have that there is a – there's something here that's – you know what? Rubio has never read the life of Muhammad, nor has Trump. 
So as a result, all of these men are wound up talking about something they know nothing about. Which is why we did this course, right? We exactly. said, you can't understand the news of the day, you can't understand the wars of the day, or the threats of today or tomorrow, until you can't even understand Muslims, let alone Islamists, unless you understand the life of Muhammad. And so that's why we embarked on this WTN, Masters in Divinities University. Do I think this is inappropriate to do on, on secular radio? Absolutely. But you're not going to get it at a university. You're not going to get it in high school or junior high or intermediate school or elementary school. You're sure as heck not going to get a movie about it from Hollywood. And you're not going to hear the truth from your leaders. So somebody's got to do it. And therefore, we are the only ones in the country doing it. And they haven't killed us yet. So kind of walk them through how we got to Chapter 14, Muhammad the Man. If you could do like a, I don't know, a 13-chapter, a two-minute review that leads to this point. Well, the reason we're doing this is, if you read the Quran, you'll count the verses that say Muhammad is the supreme pattern for all divine life. You'll find that there's 91 commands in the Quran which say that every Muslim must follow the perfect example of Muhammad. So that means you cannot understand Muslims, you cannot understand Islam until you understand Muhammad. This is what's critical, this is what's key. The mistake that a lot of people make when they say they want to understand Islam is they go pick up a Quran. Nah wrong place to start, or at least a difficult place well, our, to start. Assuming that people are either uh, Jews or Christians listening to me, uh, and especially Christians, our, our scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, all right? So the Bible is the ultimate authority. If you're a Christian, you believe, and you can read about it in Second Timothy, but you believe it is God-inspired. It's not just men. It's God-inspired, and it is, the, it is what we use to determine what is right, what is wrong, what is sound, what is unsound, what is true, what is untrue. Uh, that's not the case with Muslims. In fact, about only 16% of their beliefs come from the Quran itself. That's a big mistake we make, thinking not that there isn't 122 verses in the Quran to explain everything happening in the news, because there is, but that's not their sole form of belief and source. Well, we come back to the fact that most people think that the Islam is found in the Quran, and yet when you take the three books that Islam is found in, the Quran, the Sirah, the Life of Muhammad, and the Hadith, you're quite right. Only 14% of the words of their sacred text belong in the Quran about Allah. So it's more important to understand Muhammad than it is Allah. And, and this is very clear in the commands of Islam. We're not making this if up. If I go through the first 13 chapters, I would say, um, and, and I've made certain notes, um, but, you know, I, I'll go off the top of my head. Uh, that, you know, his childhood life, later working in the caravans, that was a, caravans, that was a real light bulb for me. That of course he robbed from the caravans and uh, caravans, and of course he knew how to. He used to be in the caravan business, so you know that was interesting to me. The way he started is one of 360 religions, and they were, you know, some people kind of pestered him. You know, at least Jesus raised people from the dead, turned water to wine, do a miracle, and of course he couldn't. Um, but he was just one of 360, and then suddenly none of the others were allowed, and then suddenly he gets violent, and then suddenly. And then I think what I'm really taken by the life of Muhammad is the way he kind of – I mean there was there's parts of him that are very brilliant and we respect that. And then there are parts that are just really convenient, you know. It's like, all right, so I have a little problem with women. I'll change the rules. I have a little problem with marijuana. I'll change the rules. Uh, so there's a lot of the changing of the rules as we go. But up until we get to Chapter 14, what are the, about the top five things that would stand out up to this point about Muhammad's life that you hope people didn't miss in the previous 13 classes? He's the most brilliant military leader that's ever existed. He created an entirely new form of war called civilizational war. Previous military men only wanted your taxes and your territory. He wanted your soul. He wanted that everything that you do imitate him in every way. 
So he created a form of war in which we're seeing in America that whether it's public school policy, dress policy, everything can be used to advance Islam because Islam has its own way of doing everything. There's absolutely nothing that it does like we do. Well, and then you can take other forms of art of war. You would take you know, massive force into the most narrow of places and then spread out. This is just kind of coming at you in so many dimensions and so many layers that you just can't defend yourself. You can't be in all of these points at once, which I think is brilliant. The other thing is Jesus, of course, addressed this uh, and, and differentiated between uh, nation versus nation and kingdom versus kingdom. And Muhammad, of course, 1,400 years ago, launched a kingdom versus kingdom war. And it's still going on today. Well, he launched a war which was everything. I call it a civilization even. Islam has its own way of doing everything. Food has its own practice for food, uh, dress, way of saying hello. I mean, down to the most minute quality of life, Islam has its own way of doing it. And all of these ways of doing it can be used to advance Islam. But the man was brilliant. He incorporated everything in humanity to focus on one thing, be like me. And, you know, we all talk about the creep, uh, civilization creep that is underway. You know, Muhammad started off very tolerant, didn't have many followers. Then he got more political, had a few more, and then ultimately was a bloodthirsty warrior. So when you hear things like, you know, uh, food compliance and you think, well, that's not a big deal. Well, you often say, kosher is not a big deal. Why? Because only Jews have to obey it. But when, when, when Islam comes in with their halal food, it's for everybody. And so they may pass some kind of a halal thing today. And just like you saw Muhammad in his early days, he was just one of 360 religions. And most people weren't buying it. And then, you know, you live in America where you believe in religious freedom. And they're not here to be one of many religions. They're here to become the only religion. And so they get a little victory of Sharia here, a little victory of halal food there, and you think it's nothing, but there's going to come a day where there's one product on the shelf, and then there's going to come a day where there's no other product on the shelf, and it's their way or death or taxation. And we're finding this, by the way, in which we're finding even our own textbooks here in Tennessee reflect the Sharia way, because uh, this is, a, in my opinion, a major example, because when you take a generation of students and teach them that Sharia is the most wonderful thing in the world, then when they see more Sharia coming, they're like, oh, well, this is a wonderful thing. Well, the great Old Testament scripture is my people perish for lack of knowledge. If you go back to the original Arabic and uh, Hebrew, rather, that, that perish means overtaken. That's exactly what's happening in America today. They're populating, they're agitating, they're infiltrating, and then eventually they'll overtake you. This is a very, very dangerous naivete and ignorance that the American people, including those running for president, are playing. You're playing with fire and you're about to get burned. All right. Uh, WTN University, Life of Muhammad, the Syrah. This is our Masters in Divinities. Uh, Tommy, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to start Chapter 14, Muhammad, the Man, next on WTN. have any pudding you're listening to wtn university on super talk 99.7 wtn you can't understand the news you can't understand islam you can't understand the muslim system of life all right, so we went through chapter 1 and chapter 13 from birth to death. We start chapter 14 with Muhammad, the man. Here's Dr. Bill Warner. One of the things that's fascinating about Muhammad, and I think he's one of the, perhaps the most fascinating figure in history, is that we know so much about him. For instance, 
here in America, do we really know how uh, George Washington drank? No, we don't. But we know exactly how Muhammad drank. Do we know what shoe Muhammad, I mean, do we know what shoe George Washington put on first? No, but we do with Muhammad. There are incredible small details, bathroom habits, sex habits, dress habits. So we know exactly what he looked like. And this all comes. And he liked good-looking women. Well, he himself said that about himself. Yes. There were the, the, the two things he prized most in life were perfume and women. <laughs> so uh, anyway. so we, I always felt like Hugh Hefner would have been a better Muslim. But go ahead. Uh, moving along. Moving I, along. Uh, Muhammad was neither tall nor short. His complexion was muted. His hair was wavy, neither curly nor straight. Uh, he was a large man. He had big feet and big hands and uh, had wide shoulders and long hair. Now, one of the most interesting things about this, and this has implications. He could have run for Republican president. He had big hands. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, that seemed to be a big, he, big issue this election cycle. I thought he was running on the Democratic Party. Yeah. Well, who knows what Muhammad would have been. <laughs> anyway, there are many. He believed hundreds. in a one-party system. Now, he <laughs> did believe in the one-party system. I yes. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't resist that one. I'm oh, no, no. trying not to interrupt. <laughs> No, you got that dead right. All right, so he wasn't tall, he wasn't short, uh, muted complexion, which means he wasn't really dark, wasn't really light. Right. But then there are other... What should I picture, by the way? Should I picture, like, I don't know. Well, actually, there's a book written... Rob Ryan? What am I? I don't know what to picture. Well, his hair, we do know he had brunette hair, because okay. otherwise they would have mentioned that. Uh, there's a book which written in which a guy takes all of this work of Muhammad and constructs what could be considered a good image of him. But moving along... There are several hadith, and let's remind people what hadith is. Hadith is a tradition, a little story about Muhammad. And we learned from the hadith that he was a, they call him a white man because when he spread his arms to pray, we could see his armpits and the whiteness of his armpits. At a battle, he was used, when he was carrying dirt, we could see the dust covering his white belly. And then one time there was a man rode up to the Medina to the mosque and said, I'm looking for Muhammad. Which one is he? And the response was the white man leaning on his arm. And when they rode into Kaibar, the wind blew Muhammad's road back and you could see the whiteness of his thigh. I just find this interesting that they go out of their way to describe his whiteness. But we, we don't know much about Muhammad's parents, right? We know that they, his mother died in birth and his father died, I think, before his birth. So that's about all we know yeah. about him. Now, there are also several hadith about uh, his look when he was angry. As a matter of fact, his anger is recorded more than once. Uh, we, let's, oh, there was something about some guy was complaining about his imam, and it was easy for Muhammad, and Muhammad became angry, and it showed on his face. There's another case in which uh, a guy said, oh, he was complaining about how long his imam had the lecture, and Muhammad's anger was, I have never seen Muhammad more, anger, more angry. Some of you like making others dislike prayer. So, so far we've learned that Muhammad was of average height, average appearance. He was a white man. I did find something, though, that I did agree with him. He says... Uh, if you lead prayers, keep them brief. <laughs> you know, that is good advice. I, I got lightheaded. I laughed so loud at that one. Because <laughs> has anybody ever been in a prayer where it just keeps going and going and going? Oh, yeah. It's like we call it. lead pr- prayer, keep it brief. So, I, yeah, we, we could just say. By the way, his next slide was the classic. If, if you lead prayer, keep it brief. Some of the people are sick, weak. They have, or simply they have work to do. We are busy. We must shoot you and get down with that business. <laughs> So then we have uh, his wife, Aisha, whom he married, she, if you remember, at age six, consummated the marriage when she was nine, and she was his favorite wife. Here's a little, I think, a touching story. This is related by Aisha. 
My girlfriends and I would play with dolls while in Muhammad's presence. Mm. They would try to hide when he entered, but he would always call them back to play with me. Playing with dolls or anything with a human image was forbidden, but because I was so young, not having reached puberty, it was allowed. Uh, the estimates, and this gets debated, but the estimates are what? That Aisha was six at marriage and nine at consummation? Yes. We've got a consensus uh, on that. All right, so we're going to get more into uh, his appearance and all that we know about his appearance, his anger, his wife, Aisha. Uh, is it fair to say Aisha was his favorite? That's what he said. Well, yeah, okay. As a matter of fact, he said his revelations only came Well, if to you're going to have multiple wives, it's bound to happen. You're going to have a favorite. It's well, uncomfortable actually, to admit, but... Well, actually, the next part we're going to deal with is the jealousy in the harem. When I put my book of Hadith together... I knew all the chapters until I started examining closely the harem. And then there's an added chapter in my Hadith book, which is called Jealousy, because there was massive jealousy within the harem. And they divided into two groups, one headed by Aisha and one headed by someone else. And they were at each other's throats all the time, making catty remarks, playing tricks, trying to outdo them with Muhammad. Mm. Well, you'll see that it'd be a heck of a miniseries or movie, but you can't make it. You'll be killed. It's the life of Muhammad, the Sira. Our WTN University continues with Dr. Bill Warner next on WTN. It's 1130. Mr. Del Giorno, why don't you try keeping your eye on the professor and not Miss Freeman? You're listening to WTN University on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. You do realize Dr. Bill Warner from politicalislam.com and author of the book Sharia Law for Non-Muslims and the entire Taste of Islam series, Life of Muhammad. It's available at politicalislam.com. If you would charge more for your books, we could afford a four-wind spa, and we could be doing our show every Friday from the Double Lounger Spa. Why don't you put an element into your mission that allows us to make a little cash? Well, I guess because I see my effort as more of a missionary. Yeah, than... that's a problem. That's why I'm still saving for my spa, and we're doing the show from this filthy studio. Uh, we've been going through the life of Muhammad because, uh, one, you can't understand the news until you understand this. Watching that presidential debate, you may not know the difference between a Muslim and an Islamist. Islam. That's what we're trying to teach you. And it's all centered and rooted around the life of Muhammad. There is nothing more relevant on the radio today or in this presidential vetting season or quite frankly, in the midst of a holy world war, you could understand more than the life of Muhammad. you got some Muslims that are peace-loving and just merely religious. You know why? Because Muhammad was. Then you have some that are into political civilization overthrow. You know why? Because Muhammad was. Then you have some that will kill you today if they get the opportunity. Or, as Donald Trump would say, a lot of hate. Because Muhammad was. So you can't understand diddly squad, including the Quran itself, until you understand the life of Muhammad. And that's why I encourage you to listen to WTN University or go to politicalislam.com or your Facebook page, by the way, now. Bill Warner, author. Not to be confused with Bill Warner, Ph.D. or Bill Warner, Bill Warner. Bill Warner, Bill Warner? There's a Bill Warner, Vanderbilt University. Really? Is that a different Bill Warner? Don't know. You're you're all over Facebook and you don't even know. I don't know if it is you. I I doubt it is. It's probably a different Bill Warner. But to put Bill Warner, author, for your Facebook mm-hmm. page is the bottom line. All right, so we're kind of walking through Muhammad the man, and we went over his physical appearance, and we do know an awful lot about it. His anger issues, and we know an awful lot about that. His favorite wife, Aisha, and some of the really, quite frankly, let's say, um, you, you could say beautiful stories or really disturbing stories. I mean, you don't hear many wife love stories that involve playing with dolls, you know. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of unique, I think. Yeah, very unique. We would call it pedophilia today. This, of course, was Muhammad's favorite wife. Now we get into his other wives. Here's Dr. Bill Warner. 
Well, we have here, should, should we read the, read the little brief thing about cleaning up? Well, let's just do this. Sex sells, right? That's well, what they it tell turns me. Out, that's, it turns out we know a lot about Muhammad's sex life. And here, this, I thought this was interesting. This was narrated by one of his wives. After sex, Muhammad purified himself just as he would for prayer. He would, wash, he would rinse off semen and vaginal secretions and then pour water over the rest of his body. He would then remove his feet from the bathtub and wash them. This is how Muhammad cleaned himself after sex. Now, I w- say here, remember I said that we know more about Muhammad than George Washington? Do we know these details about George Washington? No, I found the next one even more interesting. Muhammad and I, this is according to Aisha, would bathe together after sex in the same tub during her monthly cycle when she eventually started to get them. Uh, he would have me wear a dress that only covered me from the waist down, and then he would fondle me. He would also let me wash his head while he while I was having my period. I mean, these are just bizarre uh, details um, that, you know, most people would find – I don't share these things about me and Andrea. I, I, I just, it's just, <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Well, no, I mean, it's just – but when you're talking about, you know – But here we, get the, here we get a measure What of, would be the point of all of this? To imitate Muhammad in everything, everything. that so he this does. Is, but we'll take three months ago. We're doing the stories about these these women being raped uh, by the refugees, and and the one was raping a child, and he's literally washing himself and praising Allah and praying to Allah as he's preparing to rape this girl. And then as he's raping her, he's describing to her why he's raping her and how this is an act of devotion. And this is the kind of sick stuff playing out today, and it's because of stuff like this that they do it. They're not making anything up. That's what I keep saying about this. Yes, you do. All right, habits. Habits. Well, he would perform all tasks by working from right to left. He put his right shoe on first, then his left shoe on. He would lace up the right sandal first and then the left sandal. I never thought about that, but I do everything left and then right. I never thought about it at all. And I, when I You don't always it, put the same shoe on first? I, I think about it, I put the left one on I first. always do everything left to right, yeah. Well, then you're not a good Muslim. No, right? I... <laughs> What is that one punishable by? <laughs> I don't know. I walk barefooted for the rest of my life. <laughs> then we have the oddest reporting of his. Aisha said that he would become very agitated if he saw a cloud in the sky. He would pace back and forth, going in and out of the house. His face would change color. But once it would rain, he would relax. But clouds in the sky disturbed him. And so I need to be a meteorologist. Uh, today is going to be partly... Um, 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 <laughs> so anyway, I just thought that was odd. Why? Only, would, we don't know why he. Did. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no reason is given for some of these. Okay. Then he also forbade Muhammad. He forbade people to drink while standing, and he said, "What about eating while standing? Oh, that's even worse." So Muhammad always sat down to. He would never be standing there at a party and be drinking something. Like you might. You're not going to believe this, but I often, my kids sit around to eat dinner, and if if it's like a conversation is necessary, I'll sit down and eat with them. But often, uh, they're sitting at the table, and I'm standing and eating at the table. I'm a terrible Muslim. Yeah, well, I think we're establishing that. All right, so like all Muslims, how many Muslims to this day will not drink standing up or eat You know, I don't know. Uh, But I just know that that's the way Muhammad did it, and that's the way they should do it. And he would drink his refreshments in three gulps. The other one is, when a Muslim eats, they should not wipe their hands until it is licked clean, either by themselves or someone else. Muhammad made it legal. For a man to eat with his left hand. Made it illegal to. uh, Illegal. Illegal to eat with his left hand or walk with only one sandal on. He actually made it a law. I mean, this is like a bizarre attention to detail. He also forbade a man to wear a garment that had no opening for the arms to extend or support himself 
when wearing a single garment that he might expose, you know, his genitalia. Yeah. Once again, why I don't know. Uh, and also, the uh, Muslim should not lie on his back with one foot placed atop the other. And that's how I sleep. That's how I lay all the time. I always cross my feet at the ankle. Michael, you know what? I'm checking all the counting all the boxes we're checking about is Muslim, is not Muslim. You're not coming up at all. I always cross my legs. That is bizarre. All right, just to end the segment because the music ended. All right. I mean, I know that, that he is the perfect Muslim, mm-hmm. and he wanted people to emulate him in every, every detail. But it's amazing the, the level detail. of details that uh, that he would and, and we're be obsessed e- with. And we're not even through uh, with that. Well, in bodily details, we know that you need to wipe an odd number of times. Yeah, there's you know some of this stuff. We're all struggling for how to say it on the radio. It's um, <laughs> but it's all. It's yes, even I am struggling to say other. <laughs> you know, I thought I shared everything with my listeners till I read about Muhammad. Even, there's, there's even some things I've kept a mystery. Right. We file a lot of this in my mind under way too much information. Yeah, well, and I'm wondering how it gets taught, like in a mosque, or how much of this is even understood by Muslims. I don't know. Well, that's this comes gonna, direct from the scripture. We're going to wrap up the man Muhammad when we come back on WTN University, the life of Muhammad, the Syria. You can find all the great works of Dr. Bill Warner, politicalislam.com. Or follow him on Twitter or on Facebook at Bill Warner Author. Miss Freeman, perhaps you'd like to share with the entire class what you and Mr. Del Giorno find so funny? You're listening to WTN University on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. It's our Masters in Divinities course, The Life of Mohammed, the Sirah. And um, we've kind of gone through the entire life, through the death of Muhammad, and now we're just kind of doing Chapter 14, which is just some uh, amazing attention to detail uh, about Muhammad the man. And now we get to what he was always famous for, his modesty, Dr. Bill Warner. Well, this, is, uh, this is an odd little piece, and it's repeated by many of the Hadith collectors. One day a man looked into Muhammad's house and peeked out through a hole in the wall. or he was, Anyway, he was peeking in and saw Muhammad. And Muhammad was scratching his head with a comb. When Muhammad found out that he was looking at him, he said, I would have stuck this comb in your eye. <laughs> this is Muhammad on the Aaron Andrews lawsuit. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, out of all the hadith I've read, that one always just stuck in my mind. Well, he didn't like people watching him, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, he also would never let his... He'd rather tell you about everything he's doing after he does it, but don't watch him doing it. Right, right. He would never allow his hand to touch a woman's hand unless it was one of his sex slaves. So here we have two contrasts, one about an extreme modesty with other women, but if you were a sex slave, I mean, do you sense a dichotomy here? Yes, one of great convenience. So uh, Umar sought Muhammad and found him in an upstairs room with a black slave guarding at the top of the stairs. Umar said, inform Muhammad that Umar is here and seeks his permission. The slave then admitted me to the room. So we find out from this uh, hadith that Muhammad had black slaves, and we know that his wife had black slaves. What's interesting about this is, is that when Muslims are trying to recruit black Americans, they tell them, oh, Islam is the religion of the black man, whereas Christianity is the religion of the white man. And yet we learned earlier that he was white. Jesus had no slaves. In fact, he freed the slaves. Right. Uh, And now then we find out that, that Muhammad owned black slaves. And his wives. And so yet... The, the, so I just find this odd. And oh, by the way, no wonder why Muslims would go on to be great slave traders. Uh, well, they did do that. As a matter right. of fact. I thought this was interesting, um, that while at the house of his slave and tailor, Muhammad ate a gourd dish 
and he seemed to really enjoy it. This reminds me of the movie Heaven Can Wait. You know, when they were all trying to figure out, you know, he seemed to enjoy it very much. Uh, why we would want to know that he sat and ate a gourd and found it delicious. I mean, I guess I'm happy for him. He, he seemed to enjoy his meal. Probably, I guess like a nice lunch at the Palm. He really enjoyed himself. Well, we know a lot of – there's a lot of incidences about what he enjoyed for a meal and what he didn't enjoy for a meal. But according to this person giving the testimony, because he witnessed Mohammed and his slave eat a gourd dish for lunch and enjoy it, he says, ever since then, I have enjoyed eating gourds. <laughs> well, but this is a deep insight into, into how Islam uh, imitates Muhammad in everything. Yeah, that is a bizarre one. These are like strange – oh, final minute – um, all right, humor in, we got war, humor and jihad, cruelty, his bodily functions. How do you want to do that in one minute? Well, let's, do hu- let's do humor and jihad. He, it's at a combat, they're at a battle, and he said to a man he was standing, Saeed, shoot an arrow, and may my mother and father be taken as ransom from you. I drew an arrow and shot a featherless arrow at a Meccan polytheist aiming at his side. He fell down and his private parts were exposed. Allah's messenger laughed so hard that I saw his front teeth. Mm. I mean... These are very, these are like movie I want to end with this one. Whenever Muhammad went to the bathroom, another boy and I would follow with a stick, a staff, and a container of water. When he finished, we would give him the water. Tommy, from now on, when I go to the bathroom, I'd like you to greet me with a bottled water when I return. No. Uh, Some of the bizarre (laughs) details that are the life of Muhammad and the man Muhammad. We'll continue WTN University next week and continue to follow at politicalislam.com or on Facebook, Dr. Bill Warner, author. Doc, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Good as always.